Welcome to the Holistic Psychiatrist Podcast, a place for inspiration, insight, and information on holistic mental health. Join your host, Dr. Alice Lee, and discover critical information on safe, effective psychiatric medication withdrawal. Explore new ideas that enlighten and expand the mind with cutting-edge authors and experts, along with former patients as they share their miraculous healing journeys. It's time to build your well-being from the thought up. It's time for the Holistic Psychiatrist Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Alice Lee. Hello and welcome to the Holistic Psychiatrist Podcast, where we are building well-being from the thought up and healing is a miraculous, joyful journey. I'm your host, Dr. Alice Lee, the Holistic Psychiatrist practicing in Lehigh, Utah. Today, I'm excited to talk to you about antidepressant withdrawal, and I'm excited to have our guest, Peter, who has gone through a withdrawal from Effexor, and he's going to share with us his experience and his journey. He's been off Effexor since 2011, so he's had a long period of experiences where he can say with confidence that the treatment has actually been very helpful for helping him to be able to maintain his health after stopping the medication. And the purpose of our podcast today is to really help you envision the possibility of coming off an antidepressant yourself and to really know a little bit more about what it's like to come off of an antidepressant holistically. So, Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Thank you for having me. And thank you for those who are listening to listen to my story and hopefully to learn something for yourselves. Yeah, that'll be great. I'm excited to share your story because it's a pretty amazing one and very hopeful and positive, I think. Let's start just to know a little bit about you. What happened to get you started on an antidepressant? How old were you at the time? And how old are you now? And Sure. I was roughly in my 30s. And I had gotten to a point in my life at at that point in time in which I had come to the realization that most of my life, I probably was depressed. You know, I am maybe a stereotypical high achiever person who had been top of their class and then gone to the number one school in the nation. And then from there went to the number one company in the industry, in the computer industry, did some amazing things there. And then finally listened to my wife and took some advice from, or listened to some others and gradually came to a realization that maybe I needed some extra help. Mm -hmm. So I did talk therapy as well, but ultimately came to the realization and of someone who's definitely been <laughs> a bit of a control freak or perfectionist, I would say, mm-hmm. gradually and over a long period of time, my wife would say, came to the realization that I needed some additional help. And mm-hmm. that's when I was uh, introduced, so to speak, to XR. Yeah. I'm glad that you shared about your background, that you had done a lot academically and that you've done a lot in computers, worked for some top companies, and you're a very well-accomplished person. And I think that that's something that people can take comfort in 
I just hope that that background will help people to minimize any stigma associated with using an antidepressant or having depression, that one can be a very high achieving, high performing person and yet might still need that additional help, you know? Uh, definitely the case. And I have done some things that were groundbreaking, you know, mm -hmm. in the industry and highly paid individual. That that's not counter to the notion of being depressed or having a sense of depression for an extended period of time, but still be, as they say, highly functioning in one's professional life. The two are not mutually exclusive. And you came from some pretty stressful backgrounds too, right? With the neighborhood and some of the challenges that you had to face growing up. Yeah, I grew up in the inner city. In many respects, the poster child for the American dream, having mm -hmm. grown up in the inner city, but then had the ability to go to the best private schools and really excel far beyond what one may have a stereotypical view with respect to one's background and what sometimes people expect. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I would not be the poster child one would might have for somebody who's depressed, but at the same time, going through a lot of those experiences are the things that wear you down emotionally over time and someone in my position or, or I'll, I'll just own it you know mm -hmm. what what I would do was kind of cram things down because mm -hmm. ultimately you had to keep moving forward you have to succeed keep moving right. forward suck it up and once you do that in, in my case over three decades mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh, you know, there, there's not much more you can suck up and, and push down. Yeah, you know, at yeah. a certain point, it starts coming up and right. coming out in certain ways. And then that's, yeah. that's where people who are close to you will say, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they know you the best, right? Right. What medication did they start you with? And how did it change things for you when you started using it? Effects of XR. That was the first and thankfully the last for me. <laughs> it started out well. I'll, I'll admit, you know, it was the solution probably best for me at that point in time. It was, oh, here's a pill. Here's mm -hmm. the cure. Pop the pill and, mm -hmm. and you're a happy person and you keep going. And that was the case. And mm -hmm. uh, it's been a while, but I recall being on around 150 milligrams of it. And everything seemed great. And it was one mm -hmm. of those things where, to a large extent, I was probably still in the pattern, in the, a more depressed pattern in the sense of pattern of behavior, even though I was not depressed or feeling better. Mm. But I was What do you mean by that? I'd address the symptoms, but not the problem, ultimately. You know, mm. I had this, quote, cure, end quote. And mm -hmm. every morning I take a pill and Mm -hmm. Things were feeling better and, and great, mm -hmm. and I was going about my day. Unless, you know, I forgot to take one, and every now and then you forget. Mm -hmm. And Effexor is something that will remind you that you forgot one. You only need <laughs> to forget one, and it's, unforget it's an unforgettable experience. <laughs> what um, did it feel like when you forgot one? I always explain it as delayed reality. It's not like, you know, I would not miss it on purpose, but at mm -hmm. some point in the day, I would be doing something, I'd turn my head or I'd look from one direction to the other, and as if the world would follow along after I had looked, you know, uh, almost, almost like on a cartoon or, or mm. you know, some sci-fi thing where it's a time warp thing. It just alters your reality. Interesting. As soon as you miss one pill, mm -hmm. it really impacts your perspective of reality. Um, I see. And it's almost disabling. It really wow. is. So uh -huh. it's, it's brutal that way. And so I experienced that. And, you know, I was on it for what, more than 10 years. 
Yeah, 14, I think. We yeah. added them up. Yeah. And it got to a point we, as a country, experienced 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so I just started thinking and considering where I was and saying, am I going to be on this for the rest of my life? And mm-hmm. if something drastic happens and I can't get this medication, what condition am I going to be in? Oh, Knowing uh-huh. that if I just missed one pill one day, it yeah. really messed with my sense of reality. What if I couldn't get it? And I started to really think about that. And, and that concerned me. And that, that's when I said to myself, well, I'm going to wean myself off this thing. Okay. Yeah. Tell us about how that went. <laughs> I know I know the answer, but share with everyone. And, and, you, and you hear me laughing and anybody that says they're going to wean themselves off of effects or I will smile and then advise them, do not do it. You know, yeah. so like I said, I grew up in the ghetto and, and everything else. I'm a tough guy. I can do this. Wow. No, you can't. Sure, you may get through that initial perspective, <laughs> initial lack of perspective of reality is, but then there's some mood changes and swings that you may not be aware of. As somebody who is one who's self-motivated, you know, I, I thought I could just do this myself. It's easy. I'll, I'll just start cutting the dosage back. It's just brutal. It alters your perspective of reality. At best, you're not functional. <laughs> and worse, it's you don't do it. I I couldn't do it. And it's so surprising, right? Because it's such a small pill. You think, well, it's only this tiny little pill. I'm just going to cut it down gradually. What's right? What's and the you, problem, right? And you think you can get over it. You know, I, I mm. think I, I, did, I tried more than once. And I think mm-hmm. one of the times I tried it over a period when I took a, several days off, because that was definitely needed. Mm-hmm. There was no way to try to do this and continue operating or working normally. Mm-hmm. So I vaguely remember at one point I tried to do it when I had a few days off and I still couldn't do it and I had to just get back to my normal dosage. Mm-hmm. But it really, it, you're locked in. Once you get on effects, you are locked in until you yeah. and more effectively wean off. Yeah. And from my understanding now as a holistic psychiatrist, I know that, well, first of all, effects or does affect both the serotonin system as well as the catecholamine system. So that's two pathways that are important for our mood. Mm -hmm. But also, I know that after taking it for, let's say, 14 years, or even for a few weeks, that it can cause a depletion of the neurotransmitters, the storage levels of the neurotransmitters. So Mm -hmm. after 14 years of using it, uh, the storage levels would be very low. So one would become extremely dependent on that medication to block the reuptake of the catecholamines and serotonin in order for the body to be able to use those two systems for mental health functioning. And when you lower it by a significant amount, as a holistic psychiatrist, I know that it's very hard for the body to adapt because it's now adjusted to having that medication on board every day for the past 14 years. So it's waiting for it to be there. It's a homeostatic reaction that is hard to change just by lowering the medication. Yeah, brute force doesn't work. I mean, you're (laughs) you're essentially talking about the things that your brain needs to function properly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like it's going without water or going Mm. without sleep. It's going without mental capacity. You you literally cannot do that. (laughs) Right, right. And I think that's something for people to know ahead of time, because they oftentimes think, well, if I just do it slowly and come down, even if I have some of these side effects, maybe if I just wait long enough, it's going to disappear. But generally, I don't think for most people that I know of, the withdrawals don't just stop. 
because you hang on long enough. What I've learned is, yeah, you're taking something away, but if you're not doing it the right way, you're not replenishing what you've taken away and your brain doesn't know how to replace it. Yeah, exactly. So we started working together in June of 2010. At that time, we started, uh, you know, doing the holistic approach. And maybe you can help people who are listening kind of understand what that meant. (laughs) I remember the first day, believe it or not. I remember my first appointment with you. And the timing, I guess, was perfect because I had tried to wean myself. And at the same time, I was very adamant that I'm getting off this thing. You know, I felt like I was a hostage. So I remember talking to you, seeing you. Mm -hmm. And admittedly, you introduced, you talked about lots of things which seemed, and and I'm a science background person, it it seemed different, very different from what I'm used to. At the same time, what I had experienced was different than anything I had ever experienced before too, in terms of attempted withdrawal. I basically left there saying, you've tried this other thing, you have nothing to lose just following through with what, in my mind, I'm saying what she said, what you Mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. And I went out and I got everything I needed in order to be, to comply with what you were saying to do, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and it's a process. It takes commitment. Well, you know, effects are really didn't take commitment, but it just kind of locks you in, but Mm -hmm. you know, it takes commitment. You got to follow through, but ultimately I was able to see the results kind of real time. And for lack of a better way of putting it, you were calling it. I mean, during our subsequent sessions, you would literally tell me, are you going to feel this way or that way probably later on in the week? And I would, you know, and that was, <laughs> that kept, ha- kept happening. And to this day, I'm still like, well, how did you do that? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did I say would happen? Well, I mean, there were times when you would say that you may have, you know, a little bit of gurgly stomach or oh, you know, yeah, yeah. that going on or, or some intestinal activity or mm-hmm. things that are, how do you know that? you know, (laughs) but it was accurate. But at the same time, the process had results. Ultimately, there were results. I was weaning off as I was reducing the effects or you were changing my regimen to compensate. So I was reducing, I was trying to do myself, but you were providing the supplemental needs for body and brain to basically replace what was being taken away when I was reducing the effects. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really important to kind of be building those neurotransmitters and get them up to a certain level so that you can handle the stress of the withdrawals. The gurgly stomach. Yeah, I was just writing about that in my weekly update just this week that, you know, it's one of those symptoms when the serotonin levels go up a little bit, and you're ready to lower, let's say, SSRI, that your stomach might be a little gurgly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that means oh, it's you're kind of like you're right to lower the medication. And we want oh, to lower the medication when the side effects are a little bit on the edge where the dosing suggests that the serotonin levels are a little higher than what you need before we right. lower it. And you, you had to you count a lot that of- well. You managed oh, yeah. that really well. <laughs> Thanks. And you had to count beads. The little beads. And in the capsule, there are all these little beads. Uh And and what was phenomenal was that we couldn't always, and I don't know if it's different, but with me, we couldn't always just go by the prescribed medicine and whatever the measurements are, 150, Mm -hmm. 75, 37 and a half. At a certain point, I remember I had to open up the capsule Mm -hmm. and literally count out the beads. 
as a technical person, I'm thinking, okay, there are these, let's say 20 really small, I think they're like a millimeter in size beads. If there were 20, one would think, oh, you know what? This is nothing. Let's just stop. Oh, no way. You got to go from 20 beads down to 10, down to five, <laughs> down to two, down to one. And then, I mean, because if you try to go again from 20 to nothing, it's the same feeling as if before I was trying to go from, I think, 150 to, to 75 milligrams. It has the same feeling. That was phenomenal. I admit I tried to skip ahead a couple of times <laughs> and say, there are only 20 beads. Just stop taking them all. No, it, it, no, it comes up and kicks you again. It really does. Well, it's very interesting you brought that up because that was back in 2010, 2011, when I wasn't as aware of how to use energy medicine techniques mm. to help with uh, medication withdrawal. And what you're really talking about is what I now describe as the homeostatic, what I call the homeostatic reactions of the body, mm. where the body anticipates a certain dosage, is prepared for that dosage. And when you go too fast, then it has a certain reaction. Actually, I've resolved that problem since then. And now I have people do energy work to make it easier. That's great. That's yeah. Great. I, I, do, I, I will have the better story, though, counting the beads. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I still have them counting beads, though. Yeah, I try to use all my tools. So counting beads, coming down. I remember there was one incident where one day you said, hey, you know, I forgot to take my medication and it didn't, the side effects didn't hit me like right away, like it used to or something. Yeah. Because at a certain point, your body now is, is building back what it had lost. It now is so much better. You know, I haven't been on in nine years. I've been mm. off nine years now. So it's great. Um, yeah. Well, I was curious, what were some important lessons you learned during the treatment process? I think what was really good as a result of going through that process was better and true appreciation that it is really important to my brain chemistry mm -hmm. and really being able to identify those foods, mm -hmm. those nutrients that uplift me and those that make me feel down. When you grow up and you're a child, you're, you eat the food that, that you're given. And then for the most part, as you become a young adult, you eat those same foods. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're great for you. And I learned that. And so I, I changed my diet quite a bit so that I continue to eat foods that make me happy, literally foods that make me happy, foods that uplift me and in, in my mood. And mm -hmm. I stay away from those things that leave me feeling lack of a better way of describing it, kind of heavy or, or just mm -hmm. not energized or dull. That may be a good word. Wow, that's a great lesson to learn from that. Can you tell me a little bit about the energy medicine that you did during the treatment? What was that like? Again, it felt like it was another tool to put me back in control. You know, mm -hmm. the, the pill before had all the control and to realize that I can kind of summon it in myself, I can tap into it myself was really important. You know, again, is the other end of the spectrum from the pill, where the mm. pill, in a sense, had the control. This was all within my reach. It was new, it was different, but it, it worked. It's effective. Yeah, I still ask uh, patients to do the energy breaths, and uh, I think I can tell them that they can find the energy breaths recording on my website under energy medicine techniques. And right now, I like using a technique called EET logosynthesis. But at the time, I think we were doing 
quite a bit of emotional freedom technique, EFT, right? Yes. And that's also part of it. I think the energy medicine at the time that we were using it, both for helping with medication withdrawal and also with any kind of therapeutic issues that we wanted to help heal in a quick way, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. What was the most difficult thing that you found about the treatment? Nothing really comes to mind, but I suspect it was just a change in what I did on a normal basis after the first appointment. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm just jumping into this. This this Mm -hmm. is one of those things where for me, it was better to just commit to do, to go all in and not stick my toe or foot in, just go all in, Mm -hmm. just do everything that you you were told to do and (laughs) just build that muscle to get into the rhythm of doing it. And and Mm -hmm. that was the hard part because Mm -hmm. otherwise it kind of doesn't work, you know, as well. Just getting up to speed in that sense, getting into the right mindset was probably the hardest thing. And then after that, Mm -hmm. you, you just come up with something that works for you. How was I able to bring in my supplements on a daily basis, the amount of fluids to -hmm. take in, you know, how was I going to carry that with me? Just come up with a solution for it, figure Mm -hmm. it out, but ultimately it helps. That's great. Well, here's a different question. What was the most surprising aspect of the treatment? Any surprises? The two I kind of mentioned, you know, I was really surprised that you can kind of nail what was going to happen (laughs) before it happened in, Uh in my body. Uh-huh. And the counting of the beads is unforgettable. I, I just remember getting a little plate and on the kitchen table. And for me, I, my fingers are kind of big. I need a little knife to move the little beads around to kind of uh-huh. them out, almost like what a pharmacist does. I yeah. And I needed to get my own little capsule so I could then mm-hmm. put those beads in there. Clearly, that's very memorable to me, but it was also a great time because I knew I was near the end. So That's great. Well, this is the most, I think, interesting part. Well, not the most, but this is a really interesting part of your treatment processes after you stop the medication. So you had stopped the medication in January 9th, 2011. And I was wondering if you would share what happened very soon after you stopped the medication. Everything happened. (laughs) (laughs) So by mid-January, I was rushed to the ER because I had some bleeding. And by February, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. So February is diagnosed with colon cancer. March, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. April, I had to go in for surgery near the end of April for a colon resection. And I was in a hospital. My mother was also went into the hospital. She had a multitude of issues. Colon cancer, oddly enough, was the least significant of those. I got out of the hospital in May. I was in for about nine days. Hadn't eaten, barely slept. The procedure was brutal. By mid-May, my mother passed away. Yes, I remember. We, uh, delayed the funeral a little bit because I was fresh out the hospital and was not okay to travel. I had to fly and I wasn't okay to fly. I ultimately flew without doctor's approval. Right. My my mother's funeral. I know. You know, that is what people might suspect or know if they've lost a parent and especially in a situation where you can't be there with them. I I couldn't be there. I was in the Mm. hospital myself, so I couldn't be with her we lived in different states. And I lost a lot of weight through my procedure. How many days did you not eat? Roughly six or seven days without any food, without much water. The water you get is from a little sponge. 
that you're wow. supposed to only wipe your lips with, but oh, you know, gosh. you start sucking on that sponge. <laughs> so you, um, <laughs> uh, oh. and, and, and no sleep, you know, I don't oh, know if, yeah. if you're in a hospital and, and in my case, I had to be given different medications to prevent, oddly enough, you're trying to heal, but you're trying to prevent clotting because if you throw a blood clot, it'll, it'll mm-hmm. kill you. So mm-hmm. not, not much sleep over that period of time. And mm-hmm. I, I lost a significant amount of weight. How uh, much did you lose? I don't remember the, the amount, but my skin was sagging and rolling. So I, I looked like I was probably 80-something years old in terms of skin hanging okay. off, significant amount of weight. It was a chore to walk. The big exercise for me was just to, at the hospital was to walk down the wing and back. That was my mm-hmm. exercise. I um, remember also that yeah. for the procedure, you would have... To- had you been on a fixer, they would have said, stop taking the fixer. Like you would have had to stop it like all at once, right? Yes. And <laughs> I do not know how that would have been emotionally possible to yeah. have to get off of a fixer that way. And with the, the procedure, when there was a significant amount of pain afterwards, I, I yeah. just couldn't even imagine because the pain by itself was, was already beyond what the painkillers could address for me. It was just amazing that I got off of effects at the beginning of January, but then yeah. by mid, late January, then that whole process started. But I remember you mentioned that like when you were in the hospital, there was a moment where you thought you were about to like take your last breath. Yeah, I, I had given up. You know, the pain you, was so bad. If you go several days without eating with mm-hmm. constant, an amazing amount of pain. I, I literally experience more pain than the brain can receive. And I know that because I felt it. I felt my brain shut down mm-hmm. to not receive more pain receptors. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. know what that feels like, mm-hmm. fortunately. So I know the brain can't receive more pain than mm-hmm. what I experience, And no mm-hmm. sleep, no food. That can really impact you. Um, yeah. Keep in mind, I just got off of Effexor had been probably, you know, in a depressed state for most of my early life. And the the plus to all this and the point of all this is to say that I didn't relapse. I didn't have to go back onto effects or the things that I had learned through the process of getting off and, and working with you helped me to cope even through that. Um, I think that's pretty amazing that <laughs> you were able to weather that the way you did. And to put it into a slightly different perspective, now Mm -hmm. we're in a pandemic situation and that's obviously horrible and everybody has their personal experience. I'm preferring this to that, to what I went through in 2011, that it was horrible. So the point of all this is that there is definitely life after Mm -hmm. (laughs) Vexor and getting off. And, you know, I, I have no concerns about relapsing or getting back on or or backsliding. I mm-hmm. think that's the key thing. It's not just about getting off. It's about getting to a better place mm-hmm. where you can perform, sustain yourself and not be depressed ultimately and still deal with things as they come. And they mm-hmm. do come. You mm-hmm. know, that, that was the test. It's coming. You have the tools to effectively navigate. And so in 2011, life came along to kick the tires with me to make sure that oh, yeah. uh-huh. you know, yeah. I was solid in terms of mm-hmm. ha- having gotten off. So I, uh, I'm beyond thankful to you oh, for helping yeah. with that. Well, that's pretty amazing. I'm so happy when I hear about how well you did during that period of time and how lucky it was that we could get through that whole process before that happened to you, you know? Yeah, the, the, timing, the timing was just amazing. <laughs> <laughs>
And it's pretty miraculous to me that, you know, that, (laughs) that you, that you were able to weather through it and not relapse. So the question is, how can you tell the difference between all of that stress and what it would be normal emotions for all of those kind of stressors versus like a relapse? I'm kind of like wondering, how can you tell that it's not like clinical depression when you're going through it? I suspect everybody's going to be different. Mm-hmm. For me, having my world defined by, in a sense, those first 30 years, I had a perspective of what that was. And, and for me, it's just kind of a dull type existence moving through life well, obviously, but from an emotional standpoint, not being like that excited about things. But for me, being extremely anxious about things, Mm -hmm. I was very much a perfectionist. And I'm saying that from the perspective of being in the computer world. And and Mm so I'm one who knows and believes and has done bugless, errorless code before on major systems. Mm -hmm. That's how perfectionist I am. Mm -hmm. But not having many highs, but having huge amount of anxiety around things and really anticipating every possible outcome. That's how my brain would work. So it's Mm -hmm. not just about what if this happens, but what if that happens and then after that, this and then that or this and then that, you know, think about the chess game, thinking five, six, seven plays ahead. Mm -hmm. That was kind of the world at that point in time. And so there's this constant race and running or Mm -hmm. dull. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. one or the other. After effects are, in, don't really want to make effects or the, the the point here, but mm-hmm. after recovering and, and kind of recovering from depression, I can let that go. So I can mm-hmm. now more so experience the highs. I still experience the lows. I still have anxiety around things, but mm-hmm. I can identify it. It's not as if it's automatic. I don't react and become anxious and not know that I'm anxious. You know, mm-hmm. I know that I'm getting anxious and I say, you know, hold up, hold up. Mm-hmm. Get a little anxious here. You're, you're really, come on, you're thinking six steps ahead. Let's, let's bring it back mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not that serious. You know, I, I just have a different perspective, a different set of tools. I have different checks and balances in myself to be able to catch myself and to, to rein things in or to some extent to let go. You know, mm-hmm. so that I can experience this, experience those highs, but pull myself back from potentially spiraling down a hole. I see. So that was how it felt different for you. Yes. The difference between a relapse versus the fact that you had a lot of stressors, but you felt like there was some solid ground that you could be standing on while you're handling them. Right. I wasn't the leaf. I was solid and I would, you know, the winds will come and it will hit you. (laughs) Whether or not it's Mm -hmm. kind of like I had the tools to better respond, to deflect, not to succumb to them. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. And that's definitely a goal that I have for everyone that, that I work with too, is like, it's not just about helping them off the medication, but giving them the tools and helping to make sure that they're able to continue to maintain a sense of strength and stability and groundedness despite stress. You just showed that it's possible to do that, even when we know how difficult the withdrawal process can be without any kind of support. So the body can rebuild itself and we can learn the tools that we need to learn, whether it's from energy medicine or from our diet to really support the body, make it really strong in the face of stress. Nowadays, I know you're eating well. Uh, Anything else that you do to just kind of help maintain your sense of well-being? Like, what do you do to kind of make sure life goes pretty smoothly for you? 
For me, I have to make sure that I get enough sleep. I find that that's a, a real key thing for me that helps me to stay aware of what's going on. If I start down a path where I'm not getting enough sleep, then I'm less aware, I'm less conscious, I'm just reacting more. Mm. And so then that, that's the situation where I need to say, okay, I, I need to get seven, eight hours. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause there, there are times when I've gone a whole week and I'm just getting four. Oh, know, wow. Then, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that, that starts to, to wear down my defenses, for lack of a better word, and I have to mm-hmm. rejuvenate that way. So that's one, making sure I have enough fluids, enough water. That's, mm-hmm. that's another one. And so mm-hmm. those two things, in a sense, are the body's way of, of cleansing and rebuilding. And again, I still watch the types of food that I eat to make sure, and this is working with you and also my specific case, you know, I, I make sure I eat foods that have fiber and are able to clean out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my intestinal tract. Because I realize that uh, my intestines are more control of my mood than my brain in lots of respects. They're just as much, I think you told me, they're just as much, if not more, nerve endings there. Uh-huh. You know, it's very comparable. And, and so that, that yeah. helps quite a bit. So They call it the second brain, the GI system. Yeah. Uh, wow. It's definitely in control if you make it upset. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Definitely, I think these are things that I learned as a, as a holistic psychiatrist too, you know, the importance of sleep and how sleep is involved in detoxification and the importance of water, the importance of fiber. These are all really important things that we need to help clean things out, which is kind of the physical aspects that counter what you talked about initially, which is stuffing things in and holding things in. That's right. And not releasing them, you know? So I think what you've discovered is that it's important not only to release them at the psychological level, but also kind of keep things flowing and don't keep things in when it comes to our physical bodies as well. And it's the same thing for emotions too. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you get bombarded with other people's bad days at times, other people's attitude, be it when you're commuting or something at work or, or, or what have you just like water to fiber, you have to let these things kind of flow over you and not consume them, not make them yours. That's an important thing too. And that takes practice. That does take practice. I found that one of the practices in meditation where you're trying to sit and focus on your breath as you breathe in and breathe out, and then you have these thoughts that would just pop up in your head and training your mind to kind of let them go is also a really helpful practice to have. I, I think I'm starting to get a little bit better at it as I try to do it more regularly in my life. It's a very different process than the energy breaths that I have a lot of patients do because when people do energy breaths, they're actually thinking, they're visualizing. So the brain is very busy, but a different way of meditating where you're just focusing on your breath and you're trying not to think of anything at all actually is a different kinds of challenge for the brain to keep it in a state of rest as opposed to a state of activity. Any final messages for all the people out there listening to our podcast today? Well, you know, I hope it resonates for somebody. I remember when I first uh, was introduced to to you, you know, my my wife pointed me in your direction and I looked Mm -hmm. on your website and, and somebody had left a testimonial that really resonated with me and convince me to take that step. And so hopefully this resonates for somebody, which means that 
they're one step closer to a cure for themselves or to a solution. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if there is the inkling of doubt in terms of it being appropriate or real or it's real, it it works. Mm -hmm. It's science, ultimately, for those who uh, are wondering about that. And you're left with some really good tools and, Mm -hmm. you know, functioning well and even, even better than before. I think that the proof is in the pudding. Like there's a lot of times people might say the tools don't work or these are woo-woo or whatever they might say. But if the results can speak for themselves, if it can show that it works, if it can stand up to a huge amount of pressure to change or shift it, then you're showing through your life, literally, that process is sound. That's one of the things that I hope that this podcast can help people to come to understand is that even though these tools might be different, they never considered that energy medicine might be a powerful intervention or that supplements could make a difference in terms of mental health. I hope that the accumulation of people's voices, their testimonials, their lives and everything can add up to a chorus of kind of affirmation you know, that these tools do work so that people can find a way out of their bondage to the medication. Even though the medication is very helpful, it has its role, but we don't want people to end up continuing to rely on a medication to function because you're right. Like what about a situation where like 9-11 or a financial crisis when medications aren't available, then, you know, you have to deal with where's your health at that point, you know? That's right. And that was forefront in my mind then. It's it's on the forefront, I'm sure, of many people's minds now. And it's something to really think through. You know, what if? Are you going to be able to be there for your family or your loved ones if you're tied into this thing that ultimately controls you? Like you said, it's a good temporary thing. It's like a crutch. For me, I didn't want to make the crutch a permanent part of my life. Right. One other thought that I think is very important to kind of bring out is also that a lot of times a psychiatrist will consider the relapse that happens when a person tries to come off their medications as part of the depression. And maybe it is like part of it, maybe the medication withdrawal and part of it is the recurrence of the depression mixed together. But it's very easy for a lot of psychiatrists to kind of put it all under this one big umbrella that, oh, it's the depression and that depression is chronic. And therefore, that's why this individual can't come off their medication. It's because this illness is so recalcitrant. It's not going to ever go away. And I think when we are able to show that not only can you handle withdrawal, but you can actually get rid of depression in a permanent way, it can hopefully help some psychiatrists to perceive the problem differently. Because how can you tell if it's not the disorder when it looks so much like depression? So most psychiatrists can't really think outside of the fact that maybe this is not depression, it's something else. I'm definitely one who thinks that, you know, uh, depression is curable. I'm cured of it. It was only possible because, you know, I learned through you, I learned new tools and techniques to help me to address situations differently, Mm -hmm. to approach life differently, and in a way that was 
better for me that was more optimal. We all just kind of approach life based on how we've been brought up and raised. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I can say thinking back, my parents were probably depressed, understandably their background. I know their background. We learn from our parents in terms of how to be. That doesn't necessarily mean it's ideal for us, for our generation moving forward. It may have been appropriate for them in their world and their generation, but as we move forward, Each generation has different challenges, clearly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're in a pandemic. Each generation has different challenges. You need different tools. You know, when you join a sports team, you learn from the coach. You know, you learn from other players. You learn new ways of doing things. Well, in life, you need the same thing in terms of how to deal with stress, how to deal with other things. When you come to the table, you may have bad habits, whatever those may be. Bad, of course, is a judgment, but Mm -hmm. they're not habits that are supportive. Mm -hmm. Learning those new tools help and can address and solve that problem. And in my case, it was depression. It It was how I was approaching things based on this kind of family tree of upbringing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That is different than the effects are, to a certain extent. The effects are, was the whitewash over the rotted wood, so to speak, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we, we got rid of the effects there, but at the same time, and or mm-hmm. rather in parallel, we addressed the, the rotting wood using that analogy. Yeah, I think that that's true for not only you, but I think for me as well, that it's very important for me to continue to use these tools to continue to improve my life, to continue to remove parts of my life that are unhelpful and are negative habits. Sometimes we don't perceive it unless we are in therapy and we have somebody else to kind of observe it and help you along. And I do encourage people to be open to a lifetime of self-improvement, a lifetime of being open to self-examination and changing the way we routinely react to trauma or stressors in our lives. So it's not just for a psychiatric patient. I think it's for just state of well-being, it's, it should be a good habit to continue to do that. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. I think we need to stop for today, but I really appreciate you sharing your whole story and allowing other people to learn about this as a possibility that one can heal depression, one can safely come off Effexor, one can handle stress after that without relapsing and be able to maintain well-being. You're the entire message walking on two legs. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I really appreciate you to be able to be that example for us today. If you've enjoyed today's content, please subscribe to this weekly podcast for more amazing information. Also, I hope that you will subscribe to my weekly updates on my website, holisticpsychiatrist.com for wonderful stories and insights from a holistic practice and where you'll find links to all my social media platforms. Until next time, let's keep building our well-being from the thought up and have a miraculous, joyful week. Bye-bye. The content provided by this podcast is for informational purposes only and has not been approved by the US FDA. This podcast is not intended to provide personal medical advice, which should be obtained from a medical professional.
an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironicmedia.com.